Thanks, Michael. If you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to that passage that Michael just shared with us from Exodus chapter 20. Last week we encountered, or we saw that the Israelites came to Mount Sinai to encounter God. And uh, we described and talked about that a little bit. And now as we unfold just a, a, a portion of the law that God gave to Moses there on Sinai, we're, we're going to look at these commandments that are very familiar to us, known as the Ten Commandments. And we kind of, especially if you've grown up in the church and maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, it can be difficult to know exactly what to do with the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it seems like the New Testament is in opposition. Like, so this was the old way of doing things, and then Jesus came and brought a new way of living, and, and, and there's a little bit of truth to that. But, but the reality is that the Ten Commandments are a, a crucial foundation for who we are as followers of Christ. But it's not just Christians that, that sometimes are not really sure what to do with the Ten Commandments. It's, it's many in, in our culture around us. A recent survey in the United Kingdom demonstrated, people were asking if, if the, the Ten Commandments are still relevant. And while, while um, 93% said, you shall not commit murder is still a relevant command, which I'm not sure why it was only 93%. It does make you concerned that there's 7%, because in the U.S., the, the response was 94%. So that means 6% of us are not sure whether it's okay to murder. I mean, it, it does make you disconcerted. That like 6 out of 100 people that you meet might be like, I could kill you today and be okay with it. Like, it's a little bit disconcerting. But when you get to the other end of the spectrum, some of the other commands, uh, for example, you shall not worship other gods, 31%, only 31% said that's still relevant today. Uh, I, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other God before me. In the UK, 20% of respondents said that that was still relevant. In the US, it was, it was higher still, but only 59% said that is a relevant command. So we're, we're kind of not really sure in a lot of ways what to do with these Ten Commandments. Are they, are they old? Are they obsolete? Should we put them aside and just stick with the words of Jesus and the Apostle Paul? Well, as we look here today, we're going to see not only that they are relevant for us, but why they're relevant. Why they're relevant. There's a couple things to remember, though, as, as, we, as we study these, uh, just by way of sort of a footnote, but they're important footnotes. The first thing is that, that the law was never a means of salvation. The Ten Commandments were not given to the, the Israelites as a way of getting saved. When you read the Old Testament and then you come to the New and the New uh, brings to life some of these passages, we realize that, that the law was never a means of obtaining righteousness. And it's interesting, though, in the New Testament, in a lot of Paul's letters, they're combating that very idea that somehow along the way, many of the, the, the Jewish people and even Gentiles had gotten this picture that if I work hard enough, if I obey the law of God, I can be right with him. And so many of Paul's letters are dealing with that error, that, that treatment. And so we need to know that the law was never a means of salvation. We're going to talk about what its purpose was, but it was not a means of salvation. The second thing is that we need to remember that, that salvation comes first, before the law. In fact, we see that even in, in, in a little 
a passage that we skipped over last week in Exodus 19, where in 19 verse 4, God says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant. Notice he says, I brought you out first. I saved you. I redeemed you. Now I'm going to tell you how to live. It's so important that we don't reverse that in the Christian life, that we don't put correct living before our acceptance with God. God saves us for holiness. We don't pursue holiness in order to be saved. When we get the order confused, we distort the gospel and we change and mix up the whole thing. The order is crucial. God saves us through Jesus for the purpose of holiness. Finally, by by way of introduction too, these first four commandments lay the foundation for the other six. And it's so important to see that these first four deal with our relationship with God. Well, the, the, the latter six deal with our relationship with others, and we'll unpack that a little bit. But if you're taking notes, the, the, the first main idea here is we think about what the purpose of these Ten Commandments are and, and what, they're, what they're good for is that the Ten Commandments are revelation. The Ten Commandments are revelation. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know how, uh, for those of you who are married, I don't know how your communication in your marriage is. Uh, whether it's fantastic, poor, or somewhere in between, or it changes from day to day. I think maybe that's, that's probably a little bit more the reality for most of us, is that sometimes we do all right with it, sometimes we don't. But we know that it's crucial to the marriage relationship. In fact, it's crucial to any relationship. And it's so amazing to me, when I stop to think about it, that we have a God who decided to communicate to us. He could have left us back in Genesis chapter 3 when mankind turned their back on him. But our God is a revealing God. Our God is a communicating God. Our God is a God who says, hey, I want you to know me. I want to be understood. I want you to know who I am and the way that I operate in this world and why I do what I do. The Ten Commandments give us an opportunity to encounter the one true God. If we come to the Ten Commandments and we simply see is it's just a list of rules like, okay, well, here's, here's my checklist. Here's my, my, my stuff I've got to do. We miss the whole point. The first thing that we have to see is that the Ten Commandments, the law in general, it's a revelation of God. It's God saying, here I am. This is, this is who I am. This is my heart. You're getting a peek at, at what, what God is passionate about. In the midst of all the fire and the smoke, and the daunting commands, we see that we have a God who wants to be known. The Ten Commandments are a revelation of a God who is looking out for our best interests. A God who says, I, I want you to live the best way possible. I, I want what is good for you. And so here's how, how to enjoy that flourishing and full life. Some of us have read Psalm 119, and you hear David proclaim things like, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And maybe you've read that, and in a moment of honesty, you're like, Ugh, have you read the law? 
If you read Leviticus, how many of us have gotten bogged down working through that, reading through the Bible, and all of a sudden you hit Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it comes to a screeching halt? And we say, oh my goodness, this is tedious. And then you read David, oh, how I love your law, and you kind of feel guilty, like, man, not only did David make it through his Bible reading plan, but he loved the whole thing. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my heart? Well, I think what David was realizing is this was God revealing himself. This is God saying, I want to be known. I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship. I, 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 want, I want you to know me. I want you to know my love and my heart. Rather than starting off with it being a to-do list and certainly not seeing it as a checklist, let's see the law of God as a revelation of a God who wants to be known, a God who wants us to draw near. So first of all, the Ten Commandments are revelation. The second thing that we see is that the Ten Commandments are confrontation. Confrontation. Some of you, you, you know how the, the introduction to a confrontation starts. Sometimes it's a, a look. Right? Especially, again, bring it back to the marriage relationship. You know, you see the look, no words need to be exchanged, and you realize that something's about to go down. Men were immediately thinking, what did I do? What did I forget? Is this our anniversary? Something's, something's wrong. <laughs> For others of you, it may be, uh, we need to talk. Come to my office. There's, there's certain phrases that trigger, like, oh, Something's not good. Something's about to go down. And, and the Ten Commandments sort of hit us that way with a reminder that we can't measure up. At least that was what the Israelites were supposed to... They, 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 they didn't get it. And, and let's not be hard on them because we struggled to, to get it as ourselves. But the law was given in part to reveal our sinfulness. You see, at the end of all of this, Moses is going to bring the law to the people, and they're going to be like, yes, all that God has said, we will do. And God and Moses get back together, and God's like, they're not going to do it. This is going to be disastrous. And, but they're like, no, seriously, we're going to do this. We can do it. And God's like, no, no. You see, you see, part of what the New Testament reveals more clearly, it was, it was, it's there in the Old Testament, but the New Testament really brings it to fullness, is that the, the law was given to be a mirror, in, the law, in part, to be a mirror to, so that we could see the reality of who we are as sinners. And that we would come back to God and not say, I can do this with our chest puffed out like Barney Fife. I got this. I got this. You've got the right guy. You've got the right gal. I'll, I'll do this. The proper response is to be, this is too much for me. I, I'm going to blow this before noon. I can't do this, God. And God's like, that's right. That's right. But I'm going to send one who is going to do it perfectly that is going to be your substitute. But the history of Israel in the Old Testament is this story of we can do it. And then God, and then they fail and they're like, well, we don't really want to do it. 
And so then they go get disciplined and punished. And, and then they'll be like, hey, you know what? We really need to think about doing it. And God's like, you can't. And they're like, yeah, we can. And then they don't. And then they're like, yeah, maybe we don't really want to do this after all. And then they follow some other God. And it's just this cycle all the way throughout the Old Testament. Part of the reason the law was given was to hold a mirror in front of our face. I, I, I've used this illustration before, but sometimes I can be a, a little bit of a messy eater. And, and you know how sometimes you're just into a, you know, if you got a good burger or, or, or something that's just messy, you just sort of like, you sort of roll up your sleeves and you're like, I am not going to stay clean. I'm not going to worry about the napkins until after this is done. I'm going to have to go to the, to the restaurant bathroom and wash after this meal. Like you've, we've all got whether like a big plate of ribs or something like that. And, and, and you just know that like it, it's, it's going to be a mess. But even still, like, you need that mirror to sort of help you see, like, oh, my goodness, how did I get my hair? Like, what, I didn't realize I had it all down my jeans. Like, what, what's going on here? That mirror helps reveal something. But the mirror didn't put the barbecue sauce there. The mirror reveals what's already there. And the same is true when it comes to the law of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul expounds on this in Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. But there were some people saying, well, this means that the law is bad. Like, the law must not be a good thing. And Paul says, no, 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 absolutely not. I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. And Paul gives an example. He says, for example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. He goes on to say, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. He says, the problem's with me. The problem's in my heart. And the law just holds up a mirror and shows what's going on in my heart. He uses another metaphor in Galatians to describe a, a tutor or a, a, a nanny, if you will. The, the, the translators sort of render it differently. But in the, in the Roman world there, as Paul was writing that letter, uh, it was common for wealthy individuals to hire a tutor to come along and it was sort of a live-in, because they didn't have a public school system. And so if you were wealthy and you wanted your children educated, you'd hire this individual. And, and they were more than just a, a school, like a live-in school teacher. They helped oversee the kids' behavior and they took care of them and they corrected them and disciplined them. And they followed them around wherever they went. And the Paul said, the law is like that. The law sort of guided us. We needed it to, to bring us up to Christ. Without it, we're, we're just on our own, feeling like we're okay, that everything's fine and dandy. The law holds up a mirror and says, you can't do it. You need one who can. My brothers and sisters, maybe you're, maybe you're here today and, and, and you've been trying to figure out life out and, and trying to work yourself into a place where you earn favor with God. Even for Christians who know about Jesus, it, it can be tempting to go to that place where if I just work hard enough, then I will have this from God. I will have the love that I need. I, I will have the acceptance that I need. He wants you to know this morning that no amount of labor on our behalf can earn the acceptance and favor of Almighty God. The law reminds us that we don't measure up. 
that at some point in the day, you're going to covet. At some point in the day, you're going to have angry thoughts towards someone. At some point in the day, you're not going to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. At some point in the day, we're not going to measure up. And we fall back on the one who does, Jesus Christ. So the law, the Ten Commandments are revelation. The Ten Commandments are confrontation. And thirdly, the Ten Commandments are instruction. The Ten Commandments are instruction. So the law wasn't given simply to, to show us our need for a Savior, but they were also given so that we would see the path on which God has called us to walk. It's good that God has shown us how to walk in a way that's pleasing to Him. But the Ten Commandments are more than instruction. They, they show us how to embrace God's best for us. We have this baked-in, innate sense that, that rules are restrictive. You, you, you all, we, we, I mean, we've all encountered a, a rule. Maybe it was something you remember at school. Maybe it's one of your parents' rules. Maybe it's just a sign posted on a path in a, in a, in a public park. We all remember hearing or seeing written down a rule, and you're like, that's stupid. And some of us, in fact, most of us, have seen some of those rules and you're like, forget that. I'm not obeying that. That's dumb. We've all had that thought. We're like, this is ridiculous. And if we're not careful, we can transfer that thinking to the revelation of God and be like, man, what's he doing throwing this stuff out here? He's trying to restrict me. He's trying to keep me from freedom, from enjoying a full life by laying out these laws. If that's our perspective, we've got it all wrong. You see, God has laid out these commandments to show us how we can embrace his very best for us. Let's just, just want to briefly run through them, just briefly. David Platt helped me with some of these in seeing this. First one, don't have any other gods beside me. God's showing us that the way to abundant life through worship is through the worship of the right God. What if you live your entire life and then come to find out in the end that the center around which your life revolved was totally empty? You get to the end of your life only to find out that foundation was, was, is crumbling. Wouldn't you be glad to know that God has said, here's a foundation that is sure and steadfast and that will not crumble? That's why he has said, you shall have no other gods before me. Secondly, don't make an idol for yourself. Exodus 20, verse 4. In the second commandment, God shows us the way to supernatural love through worship in the right way. God is prescribing not just who is worthy of worship, but how we should worship in a way that leads to an experience of God's steadfast love. We should not, I don't think any of us are here saying, I, I want to worship in the wrong way. I want to worship an, an empty, uh, non-existent God. I want to make an idol in my life that is absolutely futile. No. Through the Ten Commandments, God says, listen, I want you to know how to experience true worship, true joy, that fullness that can only come from worshiping the one true God, worshiping according to his word. Thirdly, don't misuse the name of the Lord our God. Don't, don't take the name of our 
God in vain. So many of us, we've, we've been taught to tie that to don't use God's name as a curse word. And, and to be sure, that could be part of that. But it's much, much bigger, much broader than that. It's living in a way that, that disregards the name of God. That, 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 that maybe our, our action or our words say one thing, but our actions say another thing about what we truly believe about God and His way in the world. There is a beauty to this God-glorifying reverence in a world of triviality. Our culture just takes everything and we trivialize, we make a joke out of everything. Everything can be clicked or swiped away on our phone and ignored. And, and, and even, even news reports of devastation and loss, we just sort of shrug off. We just, ah, it's just another, another, another email, another, another notification on my phone. In a world that trivializes so much, we get a chance to step back and see the, the true greatness and glory and majesty and wonder and splendor of God. When we do this, we live with humble, holy, breathtaking awe and reverence for God and His name. Not trivializing God, but exalting Him to His right place. Commandment number four is the Sabbath day, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How much, how much do we need Sabbath? I'm going to just take a show of hands. How many of you would describe your life currently as busy? I'll raise both hands. I'm going to be honest this morning. Think about that for a second. At least, it was pretty quick, but at least two-thirds, three-quarters of us just admitted that we're busy. Life's crazy. Some of us don't, don't have a time to stop. Some of us don't even know how to stop, to pump the brakes. We're not the first culture to have a difficult time stopping. But I think we've perfected it in human history of freaking out, of, of overstuffing our schedules and our lives. But God knew right from the get-go, even in creation, God says, I'm taking a day off. I'm taking a day to rest. And here he, he tells the Israelites, you need to stop working for one whole day. You need to stop freaking out, stop busying, stop, stop doing all of your crazy stuff and just be. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do you know that this is not a, a commandment of restriction? None of them are. But especially this one, we need to remember, God's not, God's not trying to cheat us out of a day of getting good stuff done. He says, I want you to learn how to rest. We parents sometimes, I think, I think every single parent, when, when your kid is, okay, we got a few kids in here. How many kids don't like naps? Yeah, right? I didn't either when I was little. And every single one of us as parents have used a line like this. One day, you're going to love the nap, kid. You might hate it now, but one day, you'll be looking for a nap, and you won't be able to find it. We wish they understood how important that rest is. <laughs> and they could look at us and be like, you guys, 
Why don't you learn to rest too? Because their parents are often living by example on how to not slow down and rest. God has given us this commandment for our good. He says, listen, it's okay to take a nap. It's okay to take a day off. In fact, you need to. He didn't just give them permission. He commanded them to. So if we have this all-wise and all-loving God who says, take a day to just be with me and one another. Again, he's all-wise, he knows everything, and he's infinite love, so he always has our best interests in mind. And if he says, you need to do this, perhaps it would be wise for us to listen. I get it, it's hard, because I struggle to do it too. God says, you'll pay for it. If we live like the culture around us without a right balance of work and rest, if God can rest, we can take a day to step back and say, I trust you, God, to take care of all these things that I want to go do right now and just be. There's a lot more we could say there. But fifthly, honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Kids, students, when you choose to honor your parents, it reflects the honor you have for God. Again, God knows the best thing for our lives and he knows the best things for our homes. And he says, listen, it's best when kids, teens, listen to their parents and submit to and honor them. Because what he's doing here is creating a bigger picture because every, every one of us somewhere has a place where, where we need to submit to and honor authority. Every one of us. When we start when we're young and we're doing that in the home, it's going to be much more natural to do that out in workplaces, in the church, in, in the community. To understand God's proper view of authority. Number six, do not murder. The sixth commandment, it reveals that God cares about how we treat one another. Jesus, you know, in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount expanded this to even having hateful thoughts towards people. God cares about how we live with one another in this world. He clearly speaks here and in other places throughout his word against any form of physical violence or abuse, anger, rage. For our good, God tells us in his word to prioritize protecting other people. Again, there's a lot more we could say, but number seven, do not commit adultery. The seventh commandment guards the enjoyment of sexuality according to God's design. When you read this, he's not just speaking about cheating on your spouse, but he expands this. Based on all of God's world, there's clear commands against all sexual activity outside of marriage between a husband and a wife, which God's, it's God's good design. Remember, again, these are all for our good. This is not God restricting us, keeping us from something happy, something that would make us more uh, fulfilled. This is God saying, I know the best way for you to live in, in this world. And, and here is the path for that. Of course, Jesus expanded it again in Matthew 5, referring to even our thought life. The ways of this world. Listen, this is completely contrary to the message that our culture pushes. In fact, I was driving... I think it was along 75, we were heading south, probably taking a kid to college or uh, heading down, down there for some reason. And, and I remember there's, there's some, uh, a new ad campaign that's talking about how to, how to save money or to save energy. 
and uh, the, the there's a, there's a picture of a cup, two toothbrushes, and it, it says shack up, save energy, and and the idea that we're we're inundated with is that it's okay to move in together, it's okay to to engage in this kind of activity that, that is outside of God's prescription for it, because you're 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 missing out if you don't. I mean, everybody's living this way, right? That's the message. And God says, I have a better plan for you. I have a way that's, that's the path to greater fulfillment and joy. Eighth, do not steal. In other words, enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy what God's given you. Don't seek to, to go gain possessions outside of God's provision. There's so many ramifications, not just for, for preventing theft, but for promoting a right understanding of possessions and how they can be used for our good. Number nine, don't give false testimony against your neighbor. God is holding up for us truth. Our God is a God of truth. He's a God who is trustworthy. And he says, I want you to follow after me in this. In a world of lies and letdowns, don't, don't try to shape your version of of life that is different than what I'm saying it is, than is different than reality. None of us like to be around people that we can't rely on, people whose word we can't trust. We, we, we recognize that relationships thrive in a place of honesty and trust. That's who our God is. And he longs for us to be people who believe truth and are people who live by truth. Finally, he says, do not covet. He doesn't want us to be caught up in a world of jealousy and competition. Have you ever found your heart going there? I think all of us have at some point. But have you ever walked down that path so far where, where you catch yourself, for example, imagining bad things happening to people and their stuff? Like, have you ever imagined, like, you see that your neighbor's cool fifth wheel and you've always wanted one, and you think, man, it's not fair. And you sort of start daydreaming about what that would look like if that were in your driveway and the vacations and the weekends that you could have with that. And, and, and all of a sudden you start thinking, well, why do they deserve it? They, they're not even at church this morning. The pagans are out camping right now, enjoying it, and I'm stuck at church. And so you start thinking, like, I know the weather forecast is nice this weekend, but what would it be like if there's a little storm? And, you know, I'm not talking about anybody getting hurt, but if a tree came down on that thing, you know, maybe, maybe they'd start going to church instead of being at camping all the time. Yeah. Like, jealousy and covetousness can do weird things in our heart. But at the core of it, and at the core of all of these, is, is that our heart will go to a place that says, you're not enough, God. You are not sufficient, God. Every single commandment can be seen through that lens. Our God, he's just, he's, and, and, and we're, we're spiritual enough to know not to phrase it so bluntly in our minds or in our prayers or in our journals. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a discontent with God. It's a lack of belief that God is good. It's how it started in the garden. Did God really say, you know, Adam, you know, Eve, 
God is hiding something from you. That fruit right there, that's better than all the other ones he said you could have. I'm serious. You don't know what you're missing out of. What's he hiding from you anyways? It's this, it's this, this seed that begins to take sprout, begins to take root in our heart that says, God, why are you holding out on me? And this, this is an insidious, insidious root that can destroy our, our relationship with him and with other people. If it takes, if we let it take root in our heart, every time bad circumstances come into our lives, every time things don't go our way, every time we see somebody having what we perceive as success and we don't get it, we can begin to think, God, why are you here? What are you really doing here? These commandments remind us that we have a God who is good, a God who communicates to us, a God who says, I want what's best for you. And there will be times when we don't understand. There will be times when we'll say, God, I don't understand how doing this in obedience to you right now is what's best. But I'm going to obey in faith. I'm going to trust you right now that you're calling me to what's best for my life, even though it doesn't seem like it right now. The last thing I want to say about the Ten Commandments is that the Ten Commandments are gospel foundation. As we said earlier, the Israelites should have said, we can't do this, God. We, 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 don't, we can't figure out how to, how, to, how to do this. We don't have what it takes. But they didn't. You see, what we, what we find in, in Jeremiah is that they were going to need a new heart in order to be able to walk with God. And in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's interesting. In Deuteronomy 5, remember we said a couple weeks ago that Deuteronomy is key to understanding Exodus. There's so much that's expounded on and clarified. And as, in, in Deuteronomy 5, they're recounting the, the law and the giving of the Ten Commandments. All the, all the commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And there's something interesting that God says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. He says, If only they had such a heart to fear me and keep my commands always, so that they and their children would prosper forever. You can hear... that. It, and God does this throughout the scripture. Sometimes we we're maybe don't feel comfortable uh, attributing emotion to God. But God's, there's this longing in the heart of God. And he says, if only their heart could fear me. If only they, they could walk in my ways. It sort of reminds you of the words of Jesus as he's weeping over Jerusalem. How I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't come. God longs for us to hear his voice and to obey him. But here's the problem. We have to have a new heart in order to be able to do that. We can't do it on our own. The church father Augustine once said, The law was therefore given in order that grace might be sought, and grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. Someone has once sort of put this to verse and said, to run and work the law commands, yet neither gives me neither feet nor hands, but better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. 
Through the new covenant, the Bible says that God has written his law in our hearts. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And now we don't discard the law, but the, the Ten Commandments now become a, a, a place of life for us. A, a place that through the Spirit of God, we can fulfill them. But if, if it gets daunting, if even a list of ten, not to mention the hundreds of other laws that are given, are daunting and overwhelming... Jesus helped us out. One day he was asked, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? This was his response. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and more com- most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus said, here's the the Cliff Notes version. Let me summarize all of it. Love me and love others. You see, Jesus came to this earth, the, the, the perfect embodiment of love, and died on the cross. The one who was the perfect law keeper to die in the place of the law breakers. So that we might have a new heart and be enabled to love others as he's loved us. Law then becomes a charter of conduct for a people already redeemed. Those of us who already participate in God's redemptive plan by being walking and talking examples of what it means to be created in God's image. My brothers and sisters, I don't know what you think about when you read the law, when you read the Ten Commandments. But I pray that maybe we can, through what we've looked at here this morning, that the Spirit of God can, can cause our hearts to be more and more like David. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Not as a means of righteousness. We can't earn God's favor. But as a means of holiness, that is born from the Spirit of God within us. And that through the Spirit, we can love God and love others and fulfill these commands through His power and His alone. I want to pray with you here, and then um, we've got some instructions about the, the rest of our time together. But I, I, don't want, um, I don't want to get lost in this, that if, if God's working on your heart, or if, or if you need prayer for any reason, there'll be a few of us over here by the... The, the backside of the church building here. If, if you want to spend some, any, some time in prayer, we would love to just spend a few moments with you to encourage you or to, to help you in any way we can. Let's, uh, let's bow together. Father, we know that in and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes to fulfill the law. In fact, the reality is that we really don't want to. We don't care. We want to do our own thing. And I pray that through Jesus Christ, our lives would, our hearts would become awake to wanting to please you. And rather than a burden, the law then becomes the, the, the snapshot or the picture of, of a life in the Spirit. And I, and I pray, God, that that would be the case for us. That as we walk by your Spirit, as we, as we rely upon you, as we remain or dwell in your love, as, as Jesus told us in John 15, that we would 
be equipped and empowered to live in holiness. We would always remember that when you give us your instructions, they're not meant to be restrictive, they're not meant to be burdens that weigh us down, but they're meant to be the path of life. God, give us um, eyes, uh, God, God, help our eyes to be open to those moments when Satan begins planning the the thoughts in our mind to, to begin to doubt your goodness, to excuse covetousness, to excuse idolatry, to excuse lust or anger or, or dishonoring our parents or those in authority because we feel like we've got a better way, that, that maybe you're hiding what's best from us. Lord, help us to be aware of Satan's devices and of the own, our, the own pride that dwells within our hearts and that we would fight against that, that we would flee from that and turn to you knowing that you have what's, what's best for us in store. By your power, may we walk faithfully with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I want to just give a, a couple of um, sort of transition uh, thoughts or comments. Uh, first of all, if you have kids that are over there, make sure you head directly over there right away to the classrooms and pick up your kids so that our workers can come and enjoy the festivities. Secondly, if you, have, if you brought food that you haven't taken into the sanctuary yet where we have the food tables, make sure you go run and grab that and, uh, and, and bring it in there so those who are helping organize that can, can get those on the table. There is um, cornhole sign-up. I'm not sure exactly where. but it, on the table right back here. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, if you're going to have a cornhole team, uh, we have a special division for 8th grade and under. Um, we're going to be checking birth certificates. So if you have some facial hair or something, we're, we're going to make sure that we look at that. And uh, so if, if you want to get together a cornhole team, make sure you sign up there. Um, we, have a, we have a group of guys that meet on Fridays and, and just spend some time in fellowship and in, in doing some wood carving together. And uh, I want to encourage you to make your way. They have a table set up with some of the stuff they've worked on. I want to encourage you while you have a minute to make your way over there and see some of the things you're working on. And, and guys, if you're interested in connecting or learning more about how you can uh, meet with them, uh, they'd be happy to fill you in. But make sure you check out some of the cool projects that they've worked on. And it's a great opportunity for fellowship. Uh, in the meantime, or, or I should say Steve's going to be up here in just a moment giving us instructions for going through the line and everything uh, while the grillers are are finishing up some of the food. So uh, in the meantime, um, make sure that you take some time to to mingle. Uh, Look for somebody you've never met before. Look for somebody who's a stranger to you and say hi, introduce yourself, and use this as a chance to to get to know each other a little bit. And uh, we'll be back here in just a couple moments when the food's ready uh, to to pray over the food and uh, give you instructions on going through the line. God bless.